Good day, everyone. Welcome to Enoch Baptist Church Podcast. This is your host, C.B. Baker. Joining us today is Senior Pastor Dr. Michael G. Daniels. Welcome to the show, Dr. Daniels. Thank you. It's always good to be here. Always good to be in your company. Uh, man, yesterday the service was really nice. You hit us with really two good messages. The 9 a.m. message was um, coming from Matthew um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Can you give us a little bit about that? Sure. You know, the essence of that text revolves around the uh, three um, wise men uh, that were seeking a king. Uh, they were seeking Jesus, and that was predicated on their understanding of the astrological as- uh, alignment of the stars. And, and so this just basically um, uh, is a, um, a summary of how they found him. Okay. Now, one thing that you really hit us with uh, yesterday, which was profound, um, was you said that back in biblical days that the wise men were considered kings because they was educators. That back then that, you know, if you was an educator, you was perceived as a king. So they're really really hit home to me because I got to think, and you know, now I have two kids. Do I look at the, the people teaching my kids as kings? Do I give them the respect as people gave them as kings back in the day? And I want to hear your thoughts on that. Well, sure. I mean, it, it, was, it was actually, it was a part of the Persian culture. And, and in Persian culture, they revered intellect. They revered people that um, had uh, a lot of understanding of nature, understanding of the world in general. And so for the Persians, um, they had the different schools that people went through. And to be a king, you were required to actually go through one of those schools to gain insight and gain wisdom. Now, for those individuals that were were not from Persia because of how they, you know, viewed those individuals as being so wise, they they revered them. And so it was more of a sense of being revered, I, I should say. And that's how they looked at them. And when you look at our, our culture today, it is just the opposite. Um, we don't necessarily re- revere wisdom. We revere people with money, uh, and, yeah. and it does not matter how they get the money. That's right. what we revere because we view success as based on how much materialism we gain as opposed to what our contributions are to society. And so when you think about educators, I mean, look at their contribution to society, you know, from kindergarten through college. uh, Those are the ones that are responsible for ensuring that our culture, even our society, continues on when you think about it. That's a very good point. Um, Moving on to the next point that you had made was if you can't understand folk, this is direct quote, if you can't understand folk, you can't understand God. So, but if you can understand folk, you can understand God. And what you, know, you explained it and you said you got to appreciate the good in people just like God appreciates the good in everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, when you think about any aspect of um, anything, if you want to understand the creator, all you have to do is look at the creation. You know, for example, um, if I want to know the parent, I can judge the parent by the child uh, because if the child is well disciplined, that tells me that the parent 
you know, has that sense of control over the child. And, and so it just about everything, we can look at what was created and look at the creator. And so since I cannot actually see God, what I can see is that which he created, which is human beings, animals, and the like. And so when I look at individuals, in every individual, there is some good. Now, there is some influence that causes us to not always be what God would intend us to be. Just like with our children, there is some influence that doesn't always cause us to be what our parents would want us to be. But there's good in all of us. And and, and the fact that there is a, a certain amount of independence within us helps us to understand that God does not want us to be robots. He does allow us to think. He does allow us to have that that free will, that ability to make our own decisions. But he puts a seed in us so that we will respond to goodness and kindness and, and accept people the way they are. The fact that he accepts me the way I am suggested I should accept you the way you are and accept everyone with their little idiosyncrasies and to understand that even though I may not see the good, there always is some good. In fact, I relate this to a, um, a poem that was told to me a long time ago. Don't recall the author of the poem, but they said, wouldn't it be wonderful if all we chose to recall was the good that we find that is within us all. And unfortunately, that's what we do. That's not what we do. That's right. <laughs> right. Right. You know, that, that is you. You hit the nail right on the head because a lot of people, we, we tend to focus on the negative so much, you know, whether it be on you're watching television, you watch the movies, you know, the negativity creates that drama, which makes a TV show or a movie more interesting. Or better yet, the news. Mm-hmm. You know, as they say, if it bleeds, it leads, so to right. speak. So yeah, we're, we're so wrapped up in negativity and, and as a culture that we kind of forget that, hey, I got to find the good in things and the good in people. And therefore, what I have found, Pastor, is that when I do that, the drama in my life kind of just simmers down. Right. I start getting appreciating the things and looking at for the good in people like, you know, hey, you take people for what they are and then you stop looking or expecting them to be something different than what they are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I recall, and I'll give you a quick example. I recall when I was in grade school uh, that uh, there was a young lady that we used to always pick on because, you know, her hair wasn't always kept and she didn't necessarily wear the, the best clothes. So we didn't consider her to be what we would call a cute young girl. Right. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, once I got to know the young girl, and realized how sweet her heart was, her whole exterior changed in my mind. And so where first I didn't see her as being attractive, once I got to know her, I thought she was the cutest girl in school. And so oftentimes we tend to look at folk in the opposite light of what they really are because we don't see the beauty that's on the inside. We only want to see what's on the outside. When the fact of the matter is, some people that have the most beauty on the outside are the most treacherous folk you'll ever meet because we refuse to see what's on the inside. And there is good within all of us. There is some beauty within all of us. And and we just have to look for that uh, because there's not a day go by that I don't see people doing things that I consider to be outstanding to for other people because they just want to help and want to be want to show people that they care. Well, let's segue into the next point that you uh, this little gold nugget that you left for us. Um, you said the wise men went to the men in charge. And what that told me is like, you know what, Pastor, if I need something done 
And you know how you go to a store, you, you meet the lady in the lobby. Mm-hmm. You know, she's greeting you, the receptionist is greeting you. But you know you have to get past the lady in the lobby to get to the person that's in charge and get you what you need. And that's similar to what the wise man was doing. Is like, look, I need to get who is in charge. And tell us, Pastor, what can we do or what ways that we can do to circumvent a lot of things to get to that person that's in charge? Well, absolutely. And let me just say this, bring this little caveat in, if you don't mind, is that a part of our study of that uh, text was to note that we called them wise men. So we want to look at them and say, what did they do that we consider to be wise? And one of the key things they did was they did not start at the bottom. They started at, at the top. Oftentimes we do just the opposite. When we want something done, we start at the bottom, not not just in stores, not just in, in jobs, but in our life in general. You know, for example, and I don't say this to demean anyone. I say this just because it's reality in, in general. I, oftentimes we will seek people out that have really no formal understanding or education about the issues we're dealing with. Let's mm-hmm. say, for example, I'm dealing with the issue with uh, my my ch- my child. Now, the average parent, rather than talk to the teacher, will talk to a friend and say, right. hey, listen, uh, my child is giving me a problem in school, and they will try to get that other parent to join their side against the teacher. Rather than going to another educator or going to the principal or someone and say, this is my problem. How can I resolve it? How can you help me with the problem? And the same thing, you know, in, in, most, in a lot of parts of our life, take a marriage, for example. Oftentimes, people who have problems in their marriage go to people who are having problems in their marriage. You know, a a person that's married on the verge of divorce will go to a divorcee and ask them a question. And and I've always contended, if you couldn't maintain your own marriage, you certainly can't help me keep mine intact. So the position of the wise men were, you always went to people that demonstrated that they have those leadership qualities, people that should be in the know. So that by the same token, if I'm having a problem with people in a store or whatever, then I I should never try to get people on my side. I should go to people who can resolve the problem. And so if that's the manager, if it's an assistant manager, you go to whoever can resolve the problem and not to one who who can just empathize with you about the problem. Right, because that's not helping at all. (laughs) Right. You know, yeah. So now the the next one that we want, I want to talk about is you made a statement said the best way to get a blessing is to give a blessing. And in my endeavors with, um, doing consulting work or talking with people, they always get really afraid that if they give somebody something or if they do something for somebody else, and then it, it, they won't do it in return. So therefore, they won't do it. And I keep trying to tell them, I said, you're looking for the blessing in the wrong place or the wrong vessel, which is that person. You may receive it some other way. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, Pastor, we just don't do anything. So how can we encourage ourselves to get past that roadblock within us? Absolutely. I think one of the things that we have to appreciate is we should never give in order to receive. And I think that's the key thing that, that most of us in our giving 
are thinking that, well, I want tit for tat. I want some kind of uh, equity in, in my giving. But that's not why you should do it. If you do it looking for that, then you tend to never get what you're looking for. But our giving should be just because we see a need. Anytime you give to the need, that's the key aspect. Now, part of the blessing may not be I get dollar for dollar what I gave, but the appreciation that I helped shape somebody's life. You just never know what what you did on a small scale will do for someone down the road. Now, if I can help you in a small way, I may never see you again, but someone else may help me in a small way that will change my life and in turn help me to be a better person. And so I think that's one thing that we should we should uh, focus on is not I'm giving to get back from you, but I'm giving because you need assistance from me. And, and, in, and in turn, someone will see me and, and oftentimes give me what I need. It may not be money. It may be just a kind word. It may be, a, you know, just... Um, a pat on the back. Uh, it could be any number of things that will serve me well. And it may not be monetarily equal, but the value of it to my life uh, uh, may far outweigh any funds that I expended to help somebody. Very true. Um, then the next point I want to bring up, which was towards the end of the uh, sermon, which was um, the three wise men got a message from God that to do not go back the way that they came to go see the King Herod. And you're, you were saying to get out of trouble, you must learn to lean on God. Mm-hmm. And I had wrote a question down in my notes that I know a lot of people in the congregation was probably thinking, is how can I tell when I'm getting direction from God? Well, you know, the answer is simple. Uh, the application is simple, but oftentimes uh, the actual doing is complicated. <laughs> so let me say that first of all. Um, you know, <laughs> the Bible is clear in instruction. It's not like the Bible leaves out what to do. In fact, there is no um, situation that you can get into that you cannot already find in the Bible. And so because of that, uh, you can always find a a character in the Bible that mirrors what you're going through and, and see how God spoke to them to get out of it. Our problem is not that we don't hear God. I don't believe that. It's, it's our problem is not that we don't understand it's from God. Our problem is if it doesn't align with what we already thought, we won't do it. Mm. And, and so that's the key issue. Um, if, if I think the way out of a, a difficult situation is, um, let, let's say, for example, if I happen to be uh, in a marriage, for example, mm. And my spouse is cheating on me. Well, my mindset says that, you know what, the way out is to be angry. The way out is to fuss at them. The way out is to tell them if they cheat on me again, it's going to be hell to pay. That's what my mind says. Now, the Bible says the opposite. It says you overcome evil with good, that the way to straighten that situation out is to to treat them with the love and understanding and to try to paint to them such a great picture that they see that it's better to stay home than to go out. Now, if I'm sitting there praying to God, Lord, what shall I do? And the Lord tells me that the thing to do is I know your wife cheated on you. But what you ought to do right now is take her out to dinner and buy her a nice dinner and take her to the show and tell her how much you love her and shower her with gifts. 
Uh, that's hard. That's a hard pill to swallow. It is that's, a very that's hard, a hard, to hard thing to do. So I'm going to say to myself, that ain't God talking to me. And I'm going to go back to what I want to do. You know, very few wives, if their husbands cheat on them, going to prepare a nice dinner unless they lace it with arsenic. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Because the thought is that ain't God. Right. So it's not that the Bible doesn't tell us. It's not that we don't know. We don't want God in most cases. We don't want God to tell us what to do. We want God to rubber stamp what we already think we should do. Right. And so I say to people is that just because the Bible doesn't line up with the way you think doesn't mean that that's not God. You know, so uh, and if you're having problems, I tell anyone, if you're having problems understanding if it's God, is it's not God? I mean, that's what your pastor's for. You know, you contact your pastor and you ask him, is there a biblical reference to help me, to show me what to do in this situation? Right. And I can tell you that there is nothing you can encounter that the Bible does not cover. Uh, so the thing is, to do is, just, is just trust the teaching. Trust the teaching. Let the teaching sink in and then go along with it. It may seem awkward at first, but what you'll find is God knows better than what we know. And so just to tie back into the three wise men is that the way they came probably seemed the best way back home. Right. It's they, It was a route that they knew. It was a route that, that had got them where they wanted to go. So it made sense to say, okay, let's just reverse and go back. But God spoke and said, go another way. So, and, and, so here's the essence of it. They came the first way by following the stars. But the stars were created by God. Going home, they weren't to follow the stars. They were to follow the voice of God, the one that created the stars. So the bottom line is for us is stop following what God created and follow the creator. Mm. Don't go by people's comments because we are who God created. Go by God's comments because he's the one that created people. Wow. You know, that really opened up a whole lot for me. Like, you're right. Instead of going to somebody and asking for some advice, and it's all, and the advice is right there in the book, you just got to open it up and go find it. Mm-hmm. You know, so, which is a perfect um, segue into um, the second service, which 11 a.m. service, was um, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Can you give us a brief overview of that, please? Yeah, right. Luke 2, 1 through 7 um, uh, summarizes Um, the uh, birthplace of Christ and how he came to be uh, housed in a manger. In a sense, what the the text tells us is that there was a a taxation that was imposed upon all all individuals under that providence. And and to to, to make sure that everyone was accounted for, you had to go back to your home uh, of lineage and register uh, and so, and therefore, be taxed. And because, since Joseph um, was of the of the lineage of David, he had to go back to Bethlehem. Now, um, at this time, Mary, his espoused wife, uh, they were not married at the time, but they were um, engaged. I guess is the best term. But she was pregnant, uh, and and so they had to travel back to Bethlehem, and she was in her third trimester, probably within the ninth month of her of, of her. Um, her pregnancy. So when they get there, 
Um, there are no more uh, public places for them to lodge. There are no more hotels, no more inns available. And apparently, no relatives would allow them to come and, and lodge with them as well. Um, even though uh, there is, the word does not state that there were relatives there, but if it's your, you know, home of your ancestor, right, right. we would have to conclude you had cousins there. So no one would let them stay with them. And so one innkeeper said, even though I don't have room in the, in the inn, uh, you're welcome to use the barn. And so that's where they were, were, were obliged to stay, in a barn, in a stable, um, with the other animals. Well, I know you may mention that, you know, in today's world, you know, the wife was, is going slam off and, and cussing you out because why are we in the barn? But Mary really just took everything and said, I'm appreciative of, of what we have at the moment. Uh, that's the phenomenal thing that I must say. Uh, you know, you consider consider the situation: a woman that's in her ninth month of pregnancy, right, that is um, obliged to stay in a barn uh, without aid of a hospital, without aid of a midwife, and she gives birth uh, to a child where there are animals there. Uh, no doubt um, there were uh, cows that were there eating. No doubt the animals were defecating all over the place. The smell had to be uh, pretty much um, uh, a horrible thing to face. But yet she was not uh, apparently um, uh, disgruntled with Joseph. There's no indication that she was mad that he didn't make other arrangements, that he didn't. He wasn't able to find a place in another hotel, that she wasn't angry with family for not putting her in. It seems that she was just appreciative that they were in that place um, and had somewhere to lodge. I cannot imagine in 2016 if I were to go on vacation with my wife and we get there and the hotel say, we don't have your reservation. I know you have the number, but we don't have your reservation. Therefore, you can't stay in the hotel. However, you can sleep, you know, in the garage with the vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine my wife being appreciative right, of right. sleeping in a garage with vehicles. Uh, but Mary's position seemed to have been different. She seemed to have gratitude for the simple fact that they were given that bit of comfort, that bit of uh, um, of, um, of of thought. You know, someone shares something. It may not have been the best, but someone shares something. And so what this that says to me is this, is that, you know, we have to learn to appreciate all gifts that we receive, no matter how big, no matter how small. And we have to learn to accept that even though it might not be what I wanted, at least I have something. Right. And so let me be happy just for those little things in life rather than always being disgruntled. And I think that's what harms people because when they don't get what they want, they are disgruntled. And we rarely get what we want. Right. So most people are disgruntled seven days out of seven. <laughs> they're disgruntled all the time because they're not getting what they want. And like you said, then they're not seeing what is right there in front of them. Right, right. And um, it's, you talked about adversity in the uh, sermon, and you said that adversity teaches us who is not for us and who is mm-hmm. for us. And then you did a little, uh, you tied the 11 o'clock service into the 9 o'clock service a little bit with appreciation. And so go into that on, like, what is what does that mean for us for when we go through adversity? How do we go look for the, for the people that really had our back? 
Absolutely. And, and, and again, to me, that's the, the lesson, although it is the, the lesson of the birth of our Savior, but it also deals with adversity. And, and that's a lesson to be learned because um, they, they, Joseph was faced with adversity. He gets to a town with a pregnant wife and there's nowhere for them to live. That's adversity. Right. That's, that's similar to you getting put out of your home. That's adversity. So what do we learn from adversity? Well, the first thing we note is that um, no one, no relative took them in. No one said, I will give up my room and let you have a room since your wife is pregnant. Uh, so from that standpoint, that tells you um, who truly does have your back in time of difficulty. And, and that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Some people like to think of that as I'm mad at you because you won't give me something. Well, the reality is this. You are not obligated to help me. I wish you would, but you're not obligated. And so I shouldn't get angry with you because you won't help me. It's just that now I do know who I can depend on during difficult times. I'm not going to fall out with you, but now you have been identified, you know, and so now I see you for who you really are. Uh, But by the same token, the owner of the inn did give them a place to stay. Uh, It may have been the best place, but it was a place to stay. So that also tells me who I probably can depend on. And so that, that, that to me helps me to understand human nature helps me to understand my friends. And as I said before, the more I understand you, uh, the better I can deal with you. So now I don't have to get mad at people because they don't live up to my expectations, but also know who I can go to in time of need. And so to me, anytime I go through adversity, I ought to use it as a learning experience. Uh, I equate that to something my father told me when I was about 16 years old, when I was faced with a difficult um, time. Um, I made a, a bad financial decision. He said to me, what did you learn? And I responded to him and gave him a few things. He said, well, son, if you learn a good lesson, it was well worth the adversity. Right. Because every adverse situation is a teacher. And for you, you just need to always be a good student. Very true. Um, you also say, too, that um, adversity identifies. This is one I really like. Adversity identifies who are the people leeching on you when you're in a successful um, state in your life. Because like you were saying, when you have money, everybody's your friend. When you have all these nice things, everybody wants to hang around. You made a joke about a liquor cabinet. You know, when you have a lot of liquor, everybody wants to be your friend to come over for Christmas parties and parties and whatnot. But when all that goes away, where are are they at? You know, when you hit that adversity, Mm -hmm. they drop off. You know, right. and you're left with the what the people that was there say, hey, man, I, you know, I don't need all that to come hang out with you. And, and I've experienced that myself, too, mm-hmm. you know, in the adversity times that I've had. So I want I want to get um, some advice from you for, our, for the congregation, which is how do we appreciate how do we show appreciation to the people that hung with us during our adverse times? And, you know, and I I think that's a key thing. Um, But here's what I have found. People that are with you through thick and thin, all they want is thank you. 
You know, that that is enough because they don't they didn't stay with you because of what you had or what you don't have because they were with you when you had nothing. Right. They just appreciate the fact of being a part of your life. And so um, for me, it is it's it's just a matter of letting people know, hey, I appreciate you. I thank you. You know, uh, I love you for who you are in my life. And that's really all they are always looking for. Um, but again, it's important to recognize, as you said, is that one of your beauty, beauties of a learning from adversity is um, when people do desert you, well, you know, you knew who, who were using you, you know, the users from the UZs now. And so I like to always thank people um, for, for staying with me through difficult times. Now, that means that when I am back on my feet, <laughs> you know, those are the people that I, I, I tend to want to help share in whatever God is blessing me with. Right. Because they were there when I needed them. Yes. You know, and then, and then like you said a couple of sermons ago, don't get back in the same situation that you was in before with the same people. Like, well, okay, your money's back and you're back on your feet. And then you invite the people that won't hear, that wasn't around for you, you know, to come and join in with the people that was there. Because that's kind of showing them like, you know, wait a minute, I was here for you. But mm-hmm. they, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's how how do we handle that as a that person that really was there? Like, say, if I was... They're for that person mm-hmm. and they went right back to the same thing and bringing in other people. How should I handle that as a person? Let, let, you know what you the point you just brought up is crucial. Let me say that from the start It's crucial. There's a reason why we get into that trap. If if I am doing good, let's say, and then the bottom drops out and the folk that were with me when I was doing good leave me. There's a tendency to want to show them that I'm back on my feet, you right. know, that I'm now I'm, I'm, I'm the big man on campus again. So I will start gradually inviting them back into my life oftentimes just so they can see that, hey, you know what? I have arrived because our thought process often is the people that were with us when we had something are important people, you know, right. and that's why we were with them. What we don't seem to understand is that they're not important just because they have. You know, what's important is not about your status based on your material gains. It's about your contribution to my life. And obviously, they were not contributing to your life. They were taken away from your life. And so once you get yourself back on your feet, you have to always remember that it's not important to show people that you have arrived. It's not important to show people that you now are back where you were. Uh, and just for those folk that um, have that propensity to always want to show off, social media would tell the folk that you used to know that right. you're back on your feet. Right, it will. You don't, it you serves don't have that purpose. to call them back up. Uh, what you need to do is enjoy your life because if you don't, you will get back where you were. And that's the thing. Uh, uh, Again, there's an old saying that only a dog returns to his vomit. So I'm saying don't be a dog. Don't go back and lap up the same vomit you just threw up. You know, God put you in a position so you could eradicate the, the, the unnecessary folk in your life. And so don't go back and pull those same folk back in uh, that were unnecessary the first time. Because all you do is keep reliving the anguish of your past if you do that. Now, to, to rephrase the second part of my question, which is because I, and, I, and I ask this because this, I hear this a lot in just regular gossip. 
you know, you come, you go to a party, you go somewhere and you say, you know, I was with that person through when they was down and out and here they come bringing uh, Jane back, you know, back around them. And, 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 you know, I just don't understand it. How, what's your advice? What does the Bible say how to handle that feeling where I was there for somebody and you see them going back in the same path, but you're necessarily not in control of it? Well, again, and that, and that's why I say for that person, if I go back to an earlier statement, is that my helping you is not so you can help me. My sticking with you is not so you can stick with me. And, and certainly you have a right uh, to act like a fool. I mean, that, that's just how I view things. Right. You have that right. So now... Um, and, and I get that. I, as a pastor, get that all the time. You know, when people come to the church, um, they have been abandoned by different folk. They are down and out. And then we help, uh, you know, through through ministries, we help, you know, kind of get them back at a place where they can grow. And as soon as they get back on their feet, they go right back to the same old stuff that caused them pain in the first place. You know, I mean, it's, it's a common occurrence. What I tell people when they come to me uh, with that is you have to understand one simple concept, and that is they're not your people. They belong to God. Mm. And, and since they, they don't belong to us, they belong to God. Um, it's not up to us to rule over them or to lord over them. All we can do is do the best we can do for them, and then they have to find their own way. And all everybody won't find their own way. I mean, that's just the way it is. Right. Everybody won't. And and so we have to stop thinking that we can necessarily fix people. I can help you, but that don't mean I can fix you because I helped you. Right. And, and that's the approach, you know, I, I, I take. That's the approach the Bible takes, in fact. Um, Jesus said to Peter, um, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter didn't quite get it. So Jesus asked him again and, and told him again, Peter, feed my sheep. And finally, Peter understood what the Lord was saying to him, which is, uh, number one, the sheep are not yours, Peter. <laughs> they are mine. Your job is not to lord over them. Your job is to just to teach them. Now, whether they bring it in is up to them. Uh, because everybody doesn't get it the same way. The other thing I, I, I relate to, just to um, get to the point, is that, uh, as I mentioned this on our last uh, podcast, that the scripture is, is, is straightforward. Uh, Psalmist uh, tells us that a wise man adheres to uh, advice, and a fool requires many stripes. So the question is, who is the fool? If, 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 if I have a friend I have helped out, and they, 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 as soon as they get on their feet, they go right back to the other folk. Right. And then they come back to me. I help them again. They go back out to other folk. They fall down, come back to me. As soon as they get on their feet, they go back out to other folk. The question is, who is the fool, me or him? That's right. <laughs> so, so I have to assess myself right. as well and say, wait a minute, uh, is it me or, or is it him? Right. Am I the one that, that needs the whooping? <laughs> Or am, am I the one can just take the advice? And, and so the advice is that, hey, if I help you and you keep going back to the same uh, situation, I am not helping. I am enabling. And I, you should not be an enabler. You should right. just be a helper. Well, that goes that goes back to one thing I hear all the time is you're you're a victim only once. Every time after that, you're a volunteer. Right. Absolutely. So, you, <laughs> so on that note, we're going to. Um, 
go ahead and end this podcast. Thank you so much for taking a listen um, to Dr. Michael G. Daniels here with C.B. Baker. Um, You'll be able to catch us usually every week right after the church service. Um, Once again, thank you. Till next time.